This is a podcast from thebuglepodcast.com. The Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 204 of The Bugle, the world's primary source of hope and facts for the week beginning Monday, the 1st of Gloomuary in the year 1AL2012-0. It's all going to be over by Monday, but then... Why hasn't anyone thought about what happens to everyone then? There are going to be people wandering around the streets of London 2012 weeping... What do you mean it was only for fun? Are we not verifiably the third greatest nation in the world? What the f***? It was all a giant f***ing Swiss! First the Empire and now this! Man, that is annoying! How am I going to last four years without being to re- able to remember to care about rowing? So, tough times for this nation in old money. This is the Bugle for the week beginning Monday, 13th of August 2012. Under three weeks to go until our Paralympic starts. Let's clutch at those straws. So it'll be okay. Um, I'm Andy Saltzman. Uh, almost but not quite sported out here in London. And in New York City, USA, it's John Oliver. Hello, Hello, Andy. Hello, Buglers. Andy, I fear that the curse of the Bugle has struck again. Because previous to last week, I had compared myself to zero Olympic divers in my life. (laughs) Last week, I compared myself to one Olympic diver, the German Stefan Feck, who, according to the internet, is the same height and weight as me. My point being that I technically have the body of an Olympic diver. (laughs) Just a throwaway comment, Andy. Just a joke, no harm meant or done, and the first and only mention of Stefan Feck in the history of the Bugle so far. If I'm completely honest, I wasn't ever imagining bringing up his name again. <laughs> However, days later, Andy, literally days later, I witnessed Stefan Feck jump off a three-metre diving board, spin in the air, lose control of his legs, and land flat on his back in what one outlet described as, and I quote, a devastating backward belly flop, <laughs> which, which, as far as I'm personally concerned, Andy, is a compliment, because it was spectacular. As a dive, Andy, it was a feast for the senses, because it wasn't just how it looked, it was how it sounded. (laughs) The the crack of a near-naked body smashing into the unforgiving surface of the water is a gift to the ears, especially when you add the ooze of the crowd and the wind being physically smashed out of Stefan Feck's chest. It was a symphony of pain. And, And what score did he get, Andy? He got 0.0s across the board from the judges. Are you f***ing kidding me, Andy? <laughs> Were they watching the same dive that I was? Because I saw a man reinventing the sport of diving before my eyes. <laughs> what, what are the judges looking for? I know in general they're looking at grace through the air and entry into the water with as little splash as possible. But what if someone gives you the opposite of that? You cannot say that that has no value, Andy. Well, I mean, I think also we've got to say clearly, Stefan Feck is a big bugle listener. He's heard last week that you know you and he have exactly the same bodies. Yeah. <laughs> so he has now dived like you would have dived. <laughs> that's, that, 
That's true. I think you probably got an extra one and a half turns in there, but yeah. still, you're, in terms of the entry, you're basically right. Was, but he, I really think was the, he wearing a the, what would John Oliver do bracelet? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see. I'll, I'll, I'll look it up on YouTube again. It's definitely <laughs> worth a look. I do think it raises the point that the IOC needs to seriously look into changing the judging requirements for diving now, because there should be points available for the funniness of a dive. <laughs> It's just as subjective as any of the other judging criteria. The Chinese divers, for instance, have been absolutely magnificent this year, but not very funny at all. (laughs) I would love to hear commentators say, well, Tobias Chantel of Belgium up next. He's going to be attempting a half somersault with a single panicked leg kick, followed by two and a half screams of, oh shit, before landing face first into the water. This dive potentially has a high degree of funniness. And here he goes... Oh, he's nailed it! Outstanding dive. The judges are in hysterics. I I can see one pounding the table in laughter (laughs) as Tobias is helped semi-conscious out of the water with one of his testicles now visible out the corner of his speedos. (laughs) Tremendous stuff from the Belgian. (laughs) Also, it'd be nice to see a kind of cartoon someone just charging off the end of a board, hanging in midair, looking downwards, and then just plummeting straight into the water. (laughs) <laughs> let's, let's get diving back to its roots. Well, I think Stefan Feck has given the world one of the most memorable moments of the 2012 Olympics, Andy, and we should all be grateful. His very name should become a descriptive term in the English language from now on. Doing a Stefan Feck should describe failing at something so spectacularly that you actually do something more incredible than the thing you were originally attempting to do in the first place. <laughs> Of course, look, his name did not help with a story like this, Andy. <laughs> One British newspaper ran with the headline, Oh Feck, with the photo of him <laughs> hitting the water at a perfectly horizontal 180 degrees. They, in doing so, passed up the opportunity to go with Holy Feck, or German diver in huge Feck up, or Fecking Hell, that must have hurt like Feck. <laughs> Amazingly, not everyone has had as instinctively joyous a response to this as I did, Andy. <laughs> the, the German swimming legend and four-time gold medalist Roland Mattes heavily criticised Feck, called him shameful and unworthy. Well, f*** you, Roland! <laughs> Let me tell you how many dives I remember from this Olympics. It's one, Roland, and it's Stefan Feck's dive. And let me tell you how many dives I remember from your entire career, Roland. Zero. In fact, I didn't even know you were a diver until I read that quote from you about Stefan Feck, who I have heard of because he's the guy that did the funniest dive in Olympics history. With all due respect to Greg Leganis. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, he just he pipped him at the That's a good point, Andy. I just don't think... Greg Leganis was just too... Hor- it's because it was concrete. It was just too horrifying. It, it, was, it, was, it was on, on the spring, edgy dive. It was, springboard. it was the three-metre springboard. It was, springboard, yeah. Not yeah. was it really? Yeah, I think it would have been the concrete one. I'm not sure he'd have recovered in time to take part in the final. <laughs> the point is... I'm I'm truly proud that we trumpeted Stefan Feck even before he'd done anything worth trumpeting. And I would like to now declare formally Stefan Feck the official three-metre diver of the Bugle. <laughs> I think, in fact, I would like to offer Stefan Feck. I think the Bugle should try and sponsor him at the next World Diving Championships, Andy, <laughs> on the sole condition that he do exactly the same <laughs> dive again. <laughs> Also, uh, in the micro-bugle on uh, Thursday morning, I predicted that Usain Bolt would win the 200 in 19.33 seconds. And, uh, and what did he, and what 19.32. Did he do? 
Whoa. Pretty close. Oof. You're the Colin Jackson of the Bugle, then. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, but more so, arguably. Um, and uh, I've never screwed up in an Olympic final like he did. No. <laughs> Not once. Not once. That loser. That multiple world title winning loser. Top story this week. South Korea's president has controversially visited a Japanese island in a move which is set to increase diplomatic tensions over disputed territory. Uh, actually, hold on a second, Andy. Hold on. <laughs> Just kidding, Andy. Did you honestly think it was going to be anything else other than the Olympics? As Samuel Johnson once wrote, Andy, when a man is tired of the London Olympics, he is a... King arsehole, Andy! <laughs> Samuel Johnson was right then, and he is even righter now. Final Olympics update now! Oh, Andy, it's it's nearly over. I know, so. It's very, on, very difficult. It's going to be very difficult. I'm going to need a lot of support and help. On Sunday, the Olympics will have a closing ceremony, and both Britain and Britain's own Andy Zaltzman will. <laughs> Stare into the void of nothingness before gleefully awarding themselves the gold medal for having an existential crisis. <laughs> I, I personally can't recall a point in my lifetime, Andy, when Britain has been this happy. No, I, I, I'm not sure there has ever been. I think this is been. it. Yeah, I think we've maxed out. I think yeah. Oh, I, mean, I can Queen only Victoria, judge. Yeah, Queen Victoria streaked through Hyde Park on her coronation. But so. But not as many people saw that, Andy. She didn't have the ratings. (laughs) That was a word-of-mouth thing, and you can't describe the glory of seeing Queen Victoria wheezing and sweating her way (laughs) naked, (laughs) touching a tree and then running back home. (laughs) It sounds amazing, but it looked sensational. Yeah, I don't think Britain has ever... has. I think you're right. I think that this is the happiest Britain has ever been and probably ever will be. Yeah. At least until we get awarded the 2018 World Bowls Championships. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's been phenomenal. As we said last week, it's all these people working for nothing, people going to see sports they simply don't understand. It's yeah. This is the future for our nation, John. Just we just need joy yeah. in the simple things in life. The simple things like equestrian dressage. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that, that's a good point. I mean, we've been winning gold medals all over the place, the most important of which was just yesterday when Britain, as you mentioned, won gold in the dressage in a huge f*** you to Mitt Romney. Because as we, as we mentioned last week, one of Mitt Romney's horses, Rafalka, was competing in the dressage, making him the first American presidential candidate to actually own an Olympic athlete, I believe, <laughs> uh, since Thomas Jefferson, who uh, once owned a 400-metre hurdler called Trevor. But the less said about that, the better. The point is... That Romney came over to England, Andy, and he said the Olympics would be terrible. And so we sat back, knowing that we had the opportunity to hit him where it really hurts, by beating his stupid horse (laughs) in the stupid horse dancing. And I think when we accepted our gold medals in the dressage, Andy, the athletes should have just each raised a middle finger on the podium into the air (laughs) just to drive the point to Romney that he and his horse are both a bunch of f***ing losers. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we've now proved ourselves to have the danciest horses in the whole yes. of the horseiverse, and no one prances better. No, and that's been—I mean, it's probably one of the greatest achievements in British British history. I think it's up there with uh, you know, Faraday inventing uh, whatever he invented. What was it? <laughs> the uh, toast, toasted sandwich maker, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, I think all? it was. Breville. I think it was. Yeah, yeah, the Breville machine. <laughs> 
Since we last recorded uh, a full bugle, uh, as listeners to my Londonian 5772 Nemean Games micro bugles will know, I've seen Usain Bolt run the semis and finals of both 100 and 200 metres, John. And I think I mean, it's been an amazing thing to see. And I think that it has laid to rest any lingering dispute over whether or not Usain Bolt is a fast man. I think, I think those arguments are now over. And it was amazing to be at the centre of the sportiverse for those 10 magnificent seconds, the fastest a group of men have ever run in a straight line, at least since Henry VIII said, now which of you guys has got a daughter who could do a job as my third wife whilst playing <laughs> keepy uppy with Anne Boleyn's head? <laughs> and on Thursday, last night, as we record, I saw the 200 metre final when Bolt, perhaps John inspired by your rant against Michael Phelps and his claims to be the greatest ever Olympian on last week's Bugle, put himself right in contention uh, at at the top of the list of greatest ever Olympians by retaining both sprint titles alongside the likes of Phelps, Carl Lewis, Nadia Comaneci, Jesse Owens and champion the Wonder Horse who <laughs> took gold in equestrian dressage and show jumping in 1952 and 56 before taking gold in the men's 400 metre hurdles in Rome in 1960 before being disqualified after his urine tested positive for being a horse. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, it was amazing. Paul, first man ever to retain both sprint titles. Although Jesse yeah. Owens was denied that opportunity um, by a range of factors. Firstly, the 1940 <laughs> Olympics being postponed due to Hitler being a very naughty man. And also by the fact that he had his amateur status withdrawn soon after the 36 Olympics by the US Athletics Authorities after taking up some commercial endorsement offers. And therefore, he was unable to compete in any future Olympics had they happened. So I think it's fair to say that Owens... Not quite get the re- rewards for success that Bolt <laughs> can expect now. Bolt presumably mm-hmm. already doing quite well financially out of being the fastest man in the history of anything, one of the greatest showmen in the history of sport, and a lifelong fan of Visa cards. Whereas Jesse Owens did not even receive a well done and thank you telegram from President Roosevelt. And when, <laughs> when he was given a reception in his honour in New York City after the 36 games at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel, he, he was given this, this uh, reception in his honour. He had to take the freight elevator up to that reception because he was black. Is that true? That is true. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. Shows how uh, how much progress has been made thanks to people like him. Also, how slow America was out of the blocks in that particular race. <laughs> yes. And Owens ended up trying to make a living by racing against horses. Mm. Yeah. And he said, uh, this is a quote from him, he said, people said it was de- degrading for an Olympic champion to run against a horse. But what was I supposed to do? I had four gold medals, but you can't eat four gold medals. Oh. He didn't follow up by saying, at least not at once. Um, <laughs> and also, I reckon you could probably give it a go. You know, mash them up into some squelched up potatoes, maybe a bit of gold leaf in a soup or on a pavlova, or chunk it down into peanut butter. I guess the greater problem is you can eat four gold medals, but they're not very nutritious. That's right. And you'd need some industrial equipment to whittle them down to swallowable size bits that wouldn't kill you as you attempt to digest them. But I guess his point his point does stand. But I think he's got to be up there, John. He's Michael Johnson's greatest ever Olympian, Jesse Owens still. But I think Bolt is now, he's up on that podium. He's got to be up there. The big story, as you mentioned, the big track and field story of the week is uh, that Usain, I am f***ing fast, Bolt <laughs> is still f- Fast. I mean, what what was it? What was it like seeing a man moving that quickly in the flesh, Andy? It must be quite weird. It, it is quite weird. It's all over very quickly, and it's an amazingly, it was an amazingly intense emotional experience to you know, be at you know just the greatest sporting event in the world. Basically, ten yeah. seconds out of every four years. As I said on the the, the micro bugle podcast, yeah, the, it is as simple as sport gets. You know, get from here to here 
in a straight line faster than anyone else. And uh, it was just, uh, it is a phenomenal visual feast that you can't quite take in when you're watching it. You know, so you've seen him four times, Andy. Uh, That equals almost to the tenth of a second you've seen him run for 60 seconds. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, in terms of pounds per minute, pounds per second that I've spent on watching Usain Bolt, he's doing pretty well out of it. But I would say those pounds were well spent. Yeah. I think, well, one of the interesting things they're embarrassing you with that's starting to creep into the 100-metre final is that each competitor is now doing a little opening dance or gesture <laughs> as the camera introduces them. And I'm all for this, Andy. Justin Gatlin did a weird backwards and forwards walk and Usain Bolt did a little mime of a DJ scratching before pointing both fingers towards the finish line, which he was about to move towards very fast quickly indeed. Now, clearly these opening mimes are getting extremely popular. I think it's important that lots of imagination goes into taking them to the next level from now on. Well, here we go, the 100 metre final in lane one. It's Asafa Powell of Jamaica. There he is miming, whisking together eggs and flour in a bowl. I think he's making some kind of cake. He's, he's popped it in the oven. Now he's miming, taking it out. He's acting like it's very hot and he's offering the other races a slice. Super stuff. In lane two, it's Charandri Martin of the Netherlands. He's miming reading Great Expectations by Charles Dickens. Seems to be really enjoying it, but no, he's fallen asleep with it on his stomach. Uh, Chirandi looks nice and loose there. In lane three, Justin Gatlin of the United States. Justin is giving us a kabuki dance interpretation, telling the story of the 47 Ronin who tracked down their enemy in exact revenge upon him before committing seppuku as required by their code of honour. A moving performance. That's classic Gatlin. He could be dangerous to In lane four, it's Richard Torpedo Thompson of Trinidad and Tobago. He's frozen still, acting like one of those street statue artists. I think he's trying to be the Churchill statue from outside Parliament. Don't really get that one. Doesn't really work for me. In lane five, it's Usain Bolt. He has put up a white screen and he's doing some shadow hand puppetry, showing himself (laughs) beating a giraffe in a race. Always something new from Bolt. Uh, Next to him in lane six, it's Johan Blake. Blake is acting like he's trapped in a box. Now he's signalling there's no air in that box and he's dropped dead to the floor in asphyxiation. <laughs> and finally, in lane seven, it's Ryan Bailey of the United States who is prancing around like a dressage horse with Tyson Gay in lane eight on his back wearing a top hat. So with all the sprinted introductions over, this is set up to be a sensational race. <laughs> Before the 200-metre final, Bolt was uh, basically trying to chat up the the woman who was monitoring his blocks. And to, he, I didn't see that. He mimed unplugging the full start mechanism. <laughs> Is that true? Yeah. Oh, that's that's awesome. But it must be so intimidating to have this before, you know, the most yeah. important sporting event of your life, your prime competitor dicking around <laughs> oh, like yeah, a I'm, child. That is I the greatest the... psychological warfare in history. We should have tried that with the Germans <laughs> in the First World War. Instead of looking all serious-faced at the Battle of the Somme, we should have come over the top and just started, like, breakdancing. <laughs> I think it was at the World Championships. It was at a certain meet uh, about a year ago when uh, he was at the 100-metre start line and uh, the camera came across him. He looked to his left, shook his head. <laughs> Looked to his right, shook his head, pointed at himself and nodded his head. <laughs> and I think basically the entire crowd fundamentally agreed with him. In, in yeah, other, you, you, have, you do have to have the speed to back that up. Yes, you know, yes. Were I to do that on the start yeah. line of an Olympic 100 metres, well, for a start, I'd be rapidly carted away, having not qualified. Or if I had qualified, I'd be asked to piss extremely hard into a bucket. <laughs> 
But uh, you've got you. I mean, you've, he's earned. I guess he's earned that. He's he's earned the right to to work the room like that. In uh, other amazing Olympic news, a member of the American 4x400-metre relay team yesterday broke his leg during the race and still managed to finish. The, the athlete's name is Manteo Mitchell, and he started off the race, and he broke his leg about halfway through his 400 metres. He said, as soon as I took the first step past the 200-metre mark, I felt it break. I didn't want to let the three guys or the team down, so I just ran on it. Now, I guess you never know how you would react in a situation, for sure, Andy. But I'm I'm guessing that I would, immediately in that situation, have fallen to the floor before screaming out, Ah! <laughs> I've broken my leg! <laughs> Somebody help me immediately! I no longer care about this race, or indeed any of my teammates, on account of the fact I just broke my f***ing leg! <laughs> ah! My leg hurts! <laughs> but it, it gets better. The US team still came second and qualified because he managed to finish his opening lap in 46.1 seconds. <laughs> Andy, I couldn't run the 400 metres that quickly with zero broken legs. And it is amazing to me that Manteo Mitchell could legitimately say to someone, I could beat you around this track with a broken leg <laughs> and be correct about it. <laughs> I guess it depends how badly broken, you know. If yeah. he'd, I mean, if he'd been properly done over by some hired goons with crowbars at the 200-metre mark, different story. Different story entirely. <laughs> I saw last night, I also saw uh, for the first time in my life, I saw live an athletics world record being broken uh, in the 800 metres. David Rudisha, the young Kenyan, uh, broke his own world record. And it was an, it is an amazing thing to see a person do something that has never, ever been done before. Now, listeners to the microbials will have heard me waxing extremely, almost creepily lyrical about the athletically gorgeous Alison Felix, who is mm-hmm. unquestionably your go-to lady, John, if you want someone to deliver an urgent handwritten note or snack to someone who is standing about 120 yards away, but around <laughs> a bend in a river that then straightens out. <laughs> She's a woman who runs so beautifully, it makes you want to get down on your hands and knees and thank whatever God happens to be present at the time for inventing hip joints. And Rudisha is... He's the he's the male Alison Felix, and he runs four times as far, which I guess makes him your go-to man if you want someone to act as an intermediary in a domestic argument in which two spouses are standing stroppily on opposite sides of an oblong-shaped ancient hill fort of 400 <laughs> metres in circumference, blaming each other for forgetting to bring the right children with them for their family days out, in which blame and counterblame are exchanged twice before the police are called just as the third set of insults is about to be traded. By which I mean, he's very good at running 800 metres around an athletics track. <laughs> but it, Bolt's tactics in the 100 metres were no real surprise. You know, start fast, uh, get faster, and then keep going fast. But Rudisha basically did the same for 800 metres, breaking his own world record at a distance. I think he's only had three world records set in the last uh, 30 years. He led from soup to cheese, running as if he'd been injected with a pure liquefied Chopin piano sonata, it's fine, it's only athletics enhancing, not performance enhancing. As if he'd swallowed the Parthenon and then been on a date with all three of Canova's three graces. He pegged it so fast that six of the other seven guys ran personal career bests, uh, meaning that it was one of those rare occasions in sports when the defeated shake hands with their conqueror at the end and say, well done and thank you very much. <laughs> As you say, John, Britain has been in a state of ludicrous and joyous overexcitement, uh, mostly, uh, particularly the people going to and staffing the events. Um, 
And it has been a great time to bury bad news. Uh, the latest economic figures that have come out have shown that basically we are still utterly screwed, possibly because people have just taken two weeks off work, physically <laughs> and mentally. Um, and also, you just worry about what's going what's to turn up, that the things that we've not noticed in the last two weeks... Um, Latest government scheme whereby all children who fail literary test age seven will be humanely put down. I mean, it won't be popular, but ultimately possibly good for the economy. Uh, that Chinese President Hu Jintao has just been installed as third in line to the throne. It does seem sensible. Uh, they should have married Princess Anne off to him in the 70s when they had the chance. And also that all old people over the age of 75 who got tickets for the Olympics will be killed. But they cannot have everything. And also that George Osborne has now been revealed as the real Jack the Ripper. Osborne, aged 174, has maintained his youthful smug looks by drinking homeopathic Queen Victoria's blood from droplets that he acquired in 1873 at a party. There we go. Russian Orthodox Church and punk music update now. <laughs> and What a, a biathlon of... that is. <laughs> What? That is a, a real band? test of your all-round abilities. You can <laughs> take really Ennis's is. heptathlon. Anyone yes. can do that. Anyone yep. can jump over some hurdles and chuck some things and jump around. But if you, if you can combine the Russian Orthodox Church and punk music, you are a true all-rounder. <laughs> a band of three Russian women uh, called Pussy Riot are uh, currently on trial that was, uh, in that Russia. My, that was my nickname at school. <laughs> That's that. I don't know why that surprises me so little, Andy. I'm just waiting for my body to go into shock. But who gave you that nickname? It seemed natural. Oh, it was a mistranslation. (laughs) (laughs) They're uh, they're currently on trial in Russia after being accused of wearing brightly coloured balaclavas and singing an anti-Putin punk prayer in the Cathedral of Christ the Saviour in Moscow. Uh, They've already been imprisoned for five months on charges of hooliganism and uh, were initially facing up to seven years in jail at this trial. It seems like the anti-Putin part of the anti-Putin song is the key problem. Uh, The the song called on the Virgin Mary to help them get rid of Putin, but I don't know how they thought the Virgin Mary was going to do that exactly, but you know, desperate times call for desperate measures. And Pussy Riot are a punk band. I guess that is no real surprise. You you know what you're getting with a band called Pussy Riot, Andy. (laughs) You're getting punk music. You are not getting a string quartet. You're never going to go to the Royal Albert Hall and hear the announcement next on tonight's programme, performing Haydn String Quartet, Opus 76, number one in G major. Please welcome Pussy Riot. (laughs) Well, you really clearly never saw the Cockhammer a cappella (laughs) quartet. <laughs> was that was that off the top of your head, Andy? Well, did the Cockhammer a cappella quartet? <laughs> is that something that just? Well, you say, is that off the top of my head? If you're saying, do I have the commemorative Cockhammer hat? <laughs> yes, I do. He's wearing it what now. A, what a performance! Mozart's yeah. Requiem, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> the trial has caused a big stir in Russia, and the husband of one of the women involved has been keeping an amazing diary of each day in court. Uh, apparently it's been quite a spectacle. The defenders are being kept in a glass box, uh, and there is a huge <laughs> dog in the middle of the courtroom who barks crazily whenever anyone raises their voice. <laughs> it's amazing. The, uh, the, uh, the that, sounds also, like, that sounds like something they've missed out in the Olympic cycling. They've got a race that started with a guy in a motorised motorised. <laughs> Bicycle, basically a motorbike going round, always pulls out, cheapens the victory for the person who's on the bike. But uh, having a large dog barking, if you had the cyclist dressed as postman, 
and a large yeah. dog starting the race. Oh, that'll, that'll be fantastic. <laughs> the, uh, also, the witnesses that the prosecution have been calling sound particularly amazing. Uh, the husband wrote that, uh, I quote, a woman who looks after the candles in the church testifies. She says she saw the girls devilish twitching and committing impudences. <laughs> is, is this a court case from the mid-12th century, Andy? Because <laughs> I think that's the last time either of those charges were levelled at a woman. I think uh, dev- devilish twitching ran for Jamaica in the 400 metres. <laughs> <laughs> then the uh, the witness stand really took it up a crazy peg because a man stepped up and said the girls had placed themselves in hell that they declared war on God that hell is as real as the Moscow subway really <laughs> does that mean hell is as beautiful as the Moscow subway Andy is it as famously architecturally breathtaking or is he saying that the Moscow subway like hell does not necessarily exist and may just exist as a state of mind in the true believer or as a third option is this guy f***ing mental it's, it's got to be one of those three well what you would expect in any disputes uh, involving the Russian states and the Russian Orthodox Church is for Madonna to get involved <laughs> And um, it's happened so often in all the uh, Russian state and church disputes. Uh, she was yep. there, of course, uh, on the streets of St. Petersburg in 1917, singing an early version of Like a Virgin. But uh, she was she stepped in and expressed her support for Pussy Riot, and a senior Russian official has called her a moralising slut, uh, <laughs> or the Russian term for slut, in, uh, in, response, in response to this, which well, seems so... Uh, you know, Seems a little bit, a little. I mean, he could certainly quibble with her certain aspects of her musical output over the last twenty years. That seems, that seems far more relevant than mm-hmm. uh, than than just casting these personal insults at her. But um, it does suggest that Madonna could definitely have a role resolving international disputes. In, I'd like to see Madonna deployed to the Middle East, John. I think she mm-hmm. could be the one to bring the Israelis and the Palestinians together. In United admiration of getting into the groove. <laughs> well, she's she's this is she's got a bit of previous on this tour because on this current European tour, she caused a stir in France by putting up a picture of Marine Le Pen with a swastika on her face. Uh, now she has uh, you know done this concert in uh, Moscow where, by writing "Pussy Riot" on her back and wearing one of their signature colourful balaclavas. Basically, she's been going all across Europe. Travelling the continent somehow manages to make everyone's problems all about her. <laughs> and as you, as you say, the uh, the Russian official, uh, who was uh, a deputy prime minister and a former ambassador to NATO, <laughs> uh, he uh, he called her a moralising slut uh, and went on to say, either take off the cross or put on underpants. <laughs> now, uh, interesting, I believe that was the exact argument that thousands of abused children made to their Catholic <laughs> priests, Andy. <laughs> Either take off the cross or put it on... You can't have it both ways. <laughs> there was a spectacular quote as well from one man railing against the band who said, you wouldn't insult your parents and in the same way you wouldn't defecate in a church. <laughs> now, that is literally apropos of nothing, Andy, but it's still a pretty eye-catching sentence because you could insult your parents, that's not against the law, and nor is defecating in a church as long as it's in any of the designated bathrooms in that church or is a genuine, unavoidable accident. <laughs> and, you know, those women weren't doing either of those things, so, you know, that man's logic is as real as the Moscow subway. And a cr- <laughs> 
People all over the world are uh, showing their solidarity for the members of Pussy Riot by wearing their trademark colourful balaclavas. Andy and I are both wearing colourful balaclavas right now. Yep. Uh, you obviously can't see that, but you might be able to slightly hear it. Um, <laughs> although, just to be clear, uh, we're both wearing very intricate balaclavas in the colourful but intensely realistic patterns of each other's faces. As it happens, we do that anyway for all Bugle recordings. It's nothing to do with the Pussy Right Girls whatsoever. It started way back. I think it was something to do with wearing them so that if either of us ever robbed a bank, we could blame it on the other one. <laughs> uh, your emails now. This Olympic-themed email comes in from Richard, who writes, Dear the Bugle that nice and concise start. It appears that some American tabloid called the New York Times has engaged in some dubious restructuring of the Olympics medals table. They've ranked countries in order of total medals gained rather than gold medals. This change coincidentally has elevated the US from number two on the list to head honchos and dropped Team GB from third to fourth. Oh, that is ridiculous. <laughs> Everyone knows that the system of rating one gold medal above 55 silvers and 83 bronzes is the <laughs> fairest way of judging things. Yes. Shame on you. Shame. <laughs> In fact, I mean, it's been a ridiculous, ridiculous Olympics. For, I'm not sure that country's going to be able to calm down <laughs> and return to reality. We've had a daily dose of vicarious achievement that has absolutely yeah. nothing to do with us. It's awesome. Other than the fact that we've funded the lottery. But, um... Anyway, he carries on. Um, Therefore, I'd like to propose an alternative to their alternative. Olympics medal stable as of 9th of August at 21.30 hours. Uh, Team GB in Northern Ireland and former members of the British Empire. (laughs) 79 gold, 69 silver, 77 bronzes. Next up, China. 37 gold, 23 (laughs) silvers, 19 bronzes. We're the greatest empire-building nation in the world. (laughs) <laughs> well, I guess that is including the total from your current uh, current country, uh, yep. John. As part of the, continues as part of the glorious Team GB and Northern Ireland and Empire are included the nations of Jamaica, Trinidad and Tobago, New Zealand, Australia, Ireland. Bracket sorry, <laughs> Cyprus, <laughs> India. No, you could put that's br- not a, that could, is not an official apology. <laughs> you could put bracket sorry after all of these nations. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. Or at least bracket sorry and you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Cyprus. Or at least, sorry, you're welcome, and whoops. <laughs> sorry, welcome, and, well, sorry. <laughs> Cyprus, <laughs> India, Malaysia, Kenya, South Africa, Botswana, Egypt, Canada, and a group of ex-colonies who call themselves the United States of America. He concludes, if we can conquer nations as quickly as we can cycle around a small indoor track with banked edges whilst wearing a giant like a one-piece one condom outfit, then we will parade together at Rio 2016 once again. <laughs> Vive la revolution. <laughs> Richard, that's not Vive La Revolution. La Revolutions was the problem in the first place. It's more <laughs> yeah. La Revolution. Uh, there's another great email here from Rebecca Wolak who says, Dear John, Andy and Chris, in order of proximity to my current location, yes, I know you're wondering how I know Andy's closer than Chris. Let's just say there are more satellites up there than the US acknowledges. Wow. Uh, <laughs> She says, as a recent Middle East history graduate, I try to stay in the know about current events in the Middle East. So I found it absolutely hilarious when I typed in Syria on iTunes and The Bugle was the first (laughs) podcast on the list. Yes. I found this highly amusing, as your podcast is obviously the only proper news organisation to get news in Syria from. I would also wager that if you do two more podcasts with ten minutes of Syrian content, the regime will fall. If you're up for it, just send a response. We can hammer out the details. Waiting patiently for Silvio Berlusconi's wanktastic return to power, Rebecca. 
Well, that's, I mean, look, Andy, we took yep. down Hosney. Yeah. Don't push it, Assad. That's what, <laughs> what he is pretty visibly pushing it. <laughs> Don't push it any harder. I saw a Syrian high jumper in the uh, high jump qualifying, mm-hmm. as one does. And it's quite interesting. He, he was kind of, kind of get applause from the crowd, as high jumpers do, kind of clapping his hands so everyone joins yeah. in. In, in rhythm, and you could slightly feel some of the crowd thinking, uh, well, hang on, can you first tell us whose side you're on? Because <laughs> <laughs> whether we should be booing you all the way over the bar. Thank you very much. Do keep them coming in to info at thebuglepodcast.com. And don't forget to check out our SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash the hyphen bugle where you can get all the micro-bugles and all the bugles since we were granted independence by our generous benefactors, the Times. Uh, and uh, I will do three more micro-bugles for Saturday, Sunday, and a final staring into the bleak chasm of no sportingness on Monday morning. What, what is Monday's micro-bugle? Is it just going to be you sobbing yeah. slightly inaudibly in the background? Yeah. What's the point? I don't know. What's the point? It's going to be like Churchill's funeral, but more so. <laughs> uh, well, that's it uh, for this week's Bugle. If you live in the United States of America, Andy is going to be making... Uh, she's not your... Yeah, I suppose it technically is your US stand-up debut. Yeah. Isn't it? Because yeah. he was just a kind of that... The scientist character in my special. Yep. So this is your stand-up debut in the United States. Yep. Let's hope so it goes better this... than my stand-up debut in Britain, <laughs> which the first two TV shows I did stand-up on in this country, the BBC <laughs> stand-up show live and then the live floor show, I was in the last ever episode of both. <laughs> I destroyed those two shows, John. Be warned. <laughs> God, I'm, yeah, I'm three series deep, Andy, so this is taking a huge risk. <laughs> Can we get it in Britain at all or not? I don't think so. Right. You don't deserve it in Britain, Andy. You got medals instead. That's right. We don't need it. Thanks for listening, Buglers. We'll be back next week in the start of a new post-Olympics era. God. Help us. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you 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 must be so excited. Listen now. <laughs>